Welcome to Live Twice Podcast, the best travel and lifestyle podcast there is. Join hosts Cole Rowden and Johnny Connell as we interview the explorers, trailblazers, and influencers who inspire us to live more daringly. We sit down with amazing people from all around the planet and ask them to share their most epic adventures and their best travel sagas. Live Twice is brought to you by Ethel Ventures, one of the fastest growing travel companies that brings like-minded people together on unforgettable trips to the world's best festivals. We're not asking you to quit your day jobs and leave your hard-earned life behind. Just don't forget to ignite the celebratory soul in you and live your best life. Live Twice celebrates your fully sent, action-packed, most daring days and helps you open up to new people, new experiences, and a whole new world of possibilities. Live Twice with Johnny and Cole, your boys from Ethel Ventures. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Live Twice. Johnny Connell here and Cole Rowden there. Cole, how you doing over there, buddy? What's going on? Hey, Johnny. Things are good over here, man. Just cooking up a trip. It's going to be a good time trying to get something done for New Year's Eve. I know. I love it. I love it. In the face of all the obstacles out there, we're going against the all the headwinds uh, coming in that direction. Of course, finding the best way to do it safely and keep everybody's health and wellness in mind, but I'm pretty thrilled. So what's going on out there, Cole? How, how are you feeling? You know what? I've really been split on this one because there's two ways that you can be looking at life right now. It's let's sit around the dinner table, sip some tea, wait on this to pass, or let's tackle it head on and and get back to living. For me, you know, I take the ladder all day. Of course, I I worry about the health of everyone and I never want to be someone who's, who's going around the elderly or people who are at severe risk of getting this. It's just, I really do think that life is starting to pick back up and people are going to be start moving around regardless of the situation. You know, if we can do this safely, we can follow all the protocols. It's legal. The countries are allowing you to travel to them. I think, you know, of course, everybody has their own opinion on this. And, you know, I might get rinsed in the media by this one and, and in the comments, but you know, I think it's uh, it, it's fine if you if you can get out there, be safe, have a good head on your shoulders. There's no need to sit around the house and and wait on this any longer. Life is passing us by every single day. Yep, exactly it. And I think that's such a great introduction or segue into today's episode because we're continuing the travel stories series, and it gets super epic here today. Starting off, spoiler alert: it's Mike Corey from Fearless and Far TV. Uh, You may know him previously from Kick the Grind TV, but Fearless and Fire is his YouTube channel. It's absolutely epic. He's got a ton of subscribers, a ton of followers, and he's always in really random places doing super cool stuff. Uh, So I'm I'm super thrilled with this conversation. Cole, what did you think about it? Yeah, I, I'm excited to uh, to let everyone get in on this one. This man is uh, he, he's an awesome guy, and he has a wealth of experience in in the travel world that I think everybody listening will be able to take take a lesson from uh, and really apply it to their own life. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot in this episode about overcoming fear, and man, how relevant is that right now? Because everybody's a little bit on edge. Everyone's nervous about the state of the world. We're hearing messages coming from all different angles about what we should think, feel. Should we be nervous? Should we be scared to you know, hug our friends and family? And Mike really gets into the psychology of this. He's, he's thought about this a lot. 
He's done some really, frankly, sort of freaky things. Um, he talks about camping in like a you know haunted castle, and you can see on his YouTube he gets you know the old the traditional Thai style tattoos. He's got one on his back. He's got you know he's he's done all kinds of just sort of really daring stuff that I I really respect. And we talk about some strategies and tips and ways to overcome that and and just live a big life live a big life in, in in venturing into the unknown so i think it's uh it's an amazing episode yeah johnny you nailed it i think right now with the way of the world being so fearful uh, of really anything that you do going to grab groceries people are scared going to grab a coffee people are nervous you know just just going to give your friend a hug it just doesn't feel the same and you know what this is one of those guys who looked at the situations and the cards that we were all dealt and said, you know what, I'm going to play the hand that not a lot of people are willing to play. And this interview, unreal. I loved it. This guy is is a legend. And, and you know what, I'm happy to, to get all you guys in on some little tidbits from, from Mike Corey himself. Yeah, that's right. Well, without further ado, let's send it off. Live Twice podcast interview with Mike Corey from Fearless and Fire. Let's go. Mike Corey, welcome to Live Twice podcast. Hey, good to be here, man. Yeah, it's good to see you again. It's uh, it's been some time since we last crossed paths at the uh, the top of Mount Carlton Provincial Park in New Brunswick. Province, right? Exactly. <laughs> that was probably like uh, six, uh, eight, seven years ago. Yeah, like absolutely. And that gave me a, a lot of uh, you know. I I really ran with those photos you took uh, all all that time ago because there's some really epic um, travel photos that the province of New Brunswick here in Canada used forever and it was me like like fist raised at the top of mount carlton uh like <laughs> over an epic sunset and i was actually walking downtown moncton one day and there it was on the side of a bus <laughs> i was like yeah. there i am <laughs> yeah i don't think either one of us knew what that shoot was how, how big it was going to be and a lot of a lot has changed since man wow um but that was that was probably the very beginning of of this career that's been a twisty turning eventually for for me now yeah that was like 7 years ago so so what uh, what are you doing right now uh wh- where are you and, and what have you been up to yeah i'm in turkey right now istanbul i just finished doing a week long shoot with the bbc we are, did alternative therapies so believe it or not uh, i've kind of built this reputation around doing things that most people don't want to do so People contact me when they want to find a host, a television host or, or somebody to do that. So here we were doing leech therapy, as you could probably expect. It doesn't sound like fun, but. <laughs> there we also did uh, hallucinogenic honey, which previously I thought was only in Nepal. And there's a certain kind of flower that has a pollen that's a neurotoxin. The bees come, they take the pollen, they make the honey. And if you eat too much honey, you go crazy. Uh, however, in small doses, people think that it can have all kinds of health benefits. So we were trying some of that. Didn't get too messed up because mm. it was uh, it was on TV and we had to make sure everything was safe. But anyway, still a cool story. Did you feel it a little bit? Like, was it a little bit uh, psychedelic? Or? Here's the thing with these official television shoots. So I have a YouTube channel, as you know, called Fearless and Far. There we go pretty much neck deep into everything. But if you're doing something that could be dangerous or controversial on television generally you have to go like the extreme PC version. So I only had a teaspoon of, of hallucinogenic or mad honey while I watched like the local guys just take tablespoons and dance and scream and yell and have a good time. And I was kind of like in the corner being like, okay, well, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good, man. Like I'm always happy when I get to do these fun things because my whole idea with adventure and travel is being able to 
piece together these hodgepodge scenarios where you end up having a true travel experience. And so I've kind of crafted a whole travel style and a reputation around that. And so we were doing this. We were also doing uh, Ottoman sound therapy. Like the Ottoman Empire used to have hospitals with musicians and like sound rooms, and they would have medicinal instruments, medicinal melodies that, that if you were sick, they'd play this music. So in Turkey, that's still a thing. And so I got to have like my aura cleansed or something fixed with music. Anyway, don't believe it all, but I think, I think it's really interesting. And I always like to talk about it, kind of explore those things. Cause I think there's always maybe a little bit to it, um, but I have a science background. So it makes me ask a lot of questions and often these things fall apart if you ask too many questions, but yeah, so here in Turkey, I've been traveling since July and have been to uh, six countries actually since July, 2020. So the pandemic has not really helped me back too much. Yeah, Mike, how you doing, sir? I have some questions for you around that as well. Now, I, I was going through your one of your recent YouTube videos. You're on a hike in Transylvania, going to a castle. You, you gotta, you gotta talk to me a little bit about that. I, I mean, it, off the record, we were talking a little bit about how you started getting into fearless and far, you know, with a fear of your own, with public speaking and being in front of a camera. Something I experienced personally. Something I know a lot of our listeners experience day to day. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about how do you get into something where you're in front of a camera, you're public speaking, you're you're the face of a show with that fear? Uh, do you jump right in and have the fear as you begin doing this, or do you have to do baby steps with other things to to get over that? Totally. The video you saw was uh, I, I always wanted to camp in a an abandoned castle. So we were in Romania and in Transylvania. There was this ancient ruin on a cliff. It looked insane, man. (laughs) So I packed up a tent, snuck up there at sunset and was able to camp in the middle of these ruins all by myself. Actually, right before I was going up, I was looking up some information on online because there was no English information. So I had to Google translate it and I could barely find any. But one of the the things I translated in Romanian was like, uh, and also watch out because there's a ghost princess who tries to throw unsuspecting tourists off the mountain. Yeah, I would go. It's like, awesome. Great. <laughs> no chance. Great. <laughs> Great thing to read on the way up as you're about to spend the, the night alone in an abandoned castle. Yeah, right? Nope. Yeah. Mike, Mike, so far, I think between the, the uh, princess ghost, the uh, hallucinogenic honey, and the <laughs> leech treatment, I think I'm going to have to pick the uh, hallucinogenic honey, although I think that's a, a few steps away from going totally mad. Yeah, yeah, man. I, 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 I'm fortunate to live a life where um, I get all kinds of bumps and bruises and scares and, and stuff. Uh, every day is exciting. Well, not, not every day because some days I'm stuck in a, an apartment just editing videos, but there is a lot of excitement in there for sure. Uh, but it doesn't, again, I'm, this, this, this person I am now uh, is not the person I always was. Going back to Cole's question. So I grew up in, on the East Coast of Canada, small town, New Maryland, outside of Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, far on the East Coast. And I guess long story short, I had a traumatic experience in grade four. I was brought to the front of the classroom by this teacher. I don't know what she was thinking. And she basically made fun of me in front of the class. I, it wasn't that simple. I had some hamsters that died in the morning crazy thing happened. I was a bit distraught, went to class. She brought me in front of the class to explain how I felt. And it was my first year in French immersion. I didn't know how to speak French. She was making me speak in French. It was just the the worst introduction in public speaking anybody could ever have. Yeah, that's not fair. At any age, you lose a pet. That's terrible. At that age, it's a a very different level. That's your best friend. (laughs) Yeah, man. And that happened. So there's two different circumstances that year where I was brought in front of the class and 
it was, it was, I was being ridiculed. I was made to speak and, and apologize and do things. And no one else had to do that during the year. So I, I don't know if she didn't like me. I was just a quiet, shy kid. I don't know what the, maybe she was trying to make me more confident. I don't know what the deal was, but she did a very bad job with whatever she was trying to do. So I had a, pho- a phobia of public speaking. And for the longest time in my life, I was embarrassed about it. It was this like dark, dirty secret that I didn't want anyone to find out. But now getting into my life and, and spending a lot of time speaking about fear and trying to understand my fear and other people's fears, it's, it's, it's a pretty rational situation I was in. You know, you're a ball of clay at that age. Something happens. It could be a, uh, your sister or your brother throws a snake at you, or it could be this public speaking thing. Those, that sticks with you. And they fester like infected wounds in your body and your mind, and they, they don't go away if, if you don't deal with them. And so I carried this phobia of being in the spotlight well into my like early 20s until even in university. I was still like blackout terrified to give speeches. And I, I remember like, but you have to. So I would go up and I would, I would, I would over-prepare, over-prepare, over-prepare. And then I'd go up and I would just like blackout, but I'd have everything written out in front of me. And um, I just would read it and not look up and just, just, just kind of bury myself in the notes and get through it with like a C or something. And then sit back down and not even really remember what I did or said, but I did what I was supposed to and I got a mark. So mission completed, I guess, but it was just a horrendous experience for me. I can relate on that on a, on a very you know, high level. I know exactly what you mean when, it, when you have a fear so bad that the buildup to it and the duration of it are sort of just a blackout. And you know, I, I can't say myself that I enjoy public speaking that much still to this day, but it's also due to the lack of repetition. I haven't done it too many times. You know, I had a, a terrible fear. It sounds ridiculous of, of needles. I'd never want to get blood work done in my life. I ended up getting, uh, you know, quite sick a couple of years ago where I had to do it at least three times a week for six months. After I did that, I would walk into the hospital and I would just put my arm on the table. I have no fear of it anymore. I mean, and it was just because I did it so many times. So I guess the question to you is, does that fear still linger? Or do you find that because of the the amount of times that you've been in front of a camera and you've spoke to audiences, it sort of went away or you're able to be more in tune with it where it doesn't affect you as much as it did at the beginning? Well, you said something very important there is that uh, in the beginning, especially with public speaking, you just hadn't really practiced it very much. And isn't it funny that with, with things like public speaking, we beat ourselves up so much about not being good at it. But like if we go play tennis and we suck, it's still there's a skill set that comes with this. And if you never actually train to be good at something, you expect yourself to be good at it. It's pretty self-defeating, right? right. So if you suck at bowling, you never practice bowling, go fucking practice bowling. You know what I mean? And you'll be good at it. And the same thing goes with public speaking. And the same thing goes with fear too. Just the the feeling of being afraid. If whenever that feeling comes up, if you get more afraid of being afraid, then it's this burning wheel of fire that just destroys you with anxiety and panic. And that's what an anxiety attack is, is you, you feel something, you're like, Oh my God, it's happening. And then it just, you're, you're, you're done. You black out like, like I used to. Yeah, I understand. And like that your future goals, I feel like they all get affected as well. You know, examples, even with, with the blood work stuff, I, I wanted to always play in the National Hockey League. And all I would think in the back of my mind is they have to go through physicals every year. And it sounds <laughs> ridiculous. But I was like, I do not want to be getting needles every year. And, and it was just something that affected, you know, the way I, I was on a day to day basis with my goals. But 
Yeah, man, that's a really cool story. I think uh, I think there's some really good points people can take from from your experiences there. Yeah, well, your fears become your limits, right? And so, uh, whether it be public speaking or needles or talking to that girl or asking her for a promotion, like it, whatever you're scared to do defines the cage you're in. And the second you can start tackling these things, you start breaking the bars, and you can really accomplish whatever you want in life. I like to think it about it as like a fear compass, where if you have a fear in your life. You should go right for it. And I know how terrifying it feels. I know what it's like to have your heart skip beats and your handshake. But the thing is, like in this day and age, there's really not too much that we encounter from the day to day that's really going to hurt us. We live like in, an, in a nerfed life. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, people always ask me because I speak so much about fear. Well, tell me the difference between, you know, dangerous and scary. Like what fears should you chase and what fears should you not chase? And I don't know. I'll, I'll, I always answer the question because... Uh, scary and dangerous and reckless are all different things. But you know, you know, like, you know, a lot of what's really dangerous, you know, like, speaking at your sister's wedding, or, you know, asking for a promotion really isn't like life threateningly dangerous. It feels that way at the the time. (laughs) But you have to tease the emotion out of the logic, you have to separate those things. Because we're very sensitive to fear. Uh, humans are are so hardwired to feel fear. Because if you think about it, you're living as a, in a tribe when when you're you know you're a caveman and let's say there's an animal in the woods. All right, one guy's scared of everything. One guy's scared of nothing. The animal jumps out, and one of them's going to run. One of them's not going to run. And then you know the one who runs lives, and the other one fights and maybe dies. But either way, like we're, we're hardwired. The survival mechanism is so dependent on, on fear. We don't have fangs and claws and poison launching spines. You know, we have to, we have to use our brains and our brains are, are way too sensitive to that only because that, that's what we needed to survive all the way till now. And my story, again, it's, I think it's like, it's a little bit empowering to think, you know, today things can change. You can do all these things that, that scare you and change your life. Like, that's true, but no one ever does it that way. There has to be like a breaking point. You have to hit some kind of rock bottom where you're like, I can't do this anymore. For me, that's that's what happened as well. Like I never used to travel. There was a point where I had like a breakup, a car crash, and a family member pass away that made me take my first trip. And then I was still absolutely terrified to speak in public. But then I come back and I ended up getting flesh-eating disease and MRSA and almost had to have my toe amputated and I was on a couch for four months and someone dared me to make a travel video where I spoke on camera and I was like, no way. And he's like, oh, come on now, you pussy, like what are you going to do, sit on a couch for four more months? And I was like, ah. And so I did like 99 takes of my name, beat myself up so bad because I couldn't speak on in front of a camera at all. And people were like, just be yourself. Those are the people who've never actually tried to speak in front of a camera before. Fucking right. That's the people who've never done that before. (laughs) Because it's not easy at all. Every time I go to make a TikTok in the beginning and the people are just like, just be yourself. I'm like, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) You be yourself. This is not easy, man. (laughs) It's not. It's not. And then, but you do, you do 50 takes and one of them's like, okay, one of them's okay. And then you post that and they're like, oh, you're so, you're natural at it. And you're like, yeah, pff, whatever. Um, you didn't see the 47 other takes where I cried. <laughs> but that, that's it. And that's all I did. I, just, I attacked it with a blunt bat for years. And it wasn't just because one day I decided it's because life roundhoused me several times and made me do something crazy because I, I didn't know what else to do. If I have one natural ability, it's to find myself in a situation and be like, I have to do something different. 
uh, and crazy and being able to find an opportunity when other people would see a disaster because there's always an opportunity. I, I'm not, I'm not a fatalist. I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I do think that if you think everything happens for a reason, there is the reason. And then from there you can rebuild it better than ever. And once your foundation gets smashed, I think like for a lot of us this year with the pandemic, I think a lot of fear is there because people haven't had their foundation smashed in a while. Like we we're living in a pretty comfortable life where there's nothing really to worry about too much. Well, there's the, you know, the, just the average human ups and downs, but no one's had their complete foundation smashed uh, or very few have for a long time, if ever. And this is, this is what's happened. Everything's changed. And then from there you can say, Oh, it's a global disaster. We're, we're throwing away the year. Oh, you know, fuck 2020, you know, and make some memes, laugh at some 2020 memes and then just write off the whole year and use that as an excuse. Or you can be like, okay, well now everything's changed, but now I have time to do this. Now I can, you know, work on this. There's always opportunity there. Yeah. It's the year none of us wanted and and the year we all needed. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so if I have one gift, it's being able to always find the opportunity in a disaster. And fortunately, I've had quite a few disasters. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, on, on that note too, just talking about fear, because you know, it, 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 everything you do definitely looks daring when, when you're watching your YouTube channel, right? It looks like there's, there's no hesitation. There's never a moment of like, I don't know if I should do this. Like you, never, you, you don't really do that. Like, you don't really sort of break the third wall and say like, guys, like, you, you're, just, you're right in there, right? Is there any point or any moments in time um, that you've been traveling been in a specific place that you remember being like particularly fearful was there anything that really like you know had your back up and you were like I, I don't know like I'm, I'm gonna do it but i don't know if this is the thing to be doing yeah i'm still always fearful and even even like i don't want anyone to think that i've, I've cured my fear of public speaking no it, it's not it at all i've learned to accept it and realize that 70 percent of it was me reacting to the fear in a negative way. Like, for example, I did a speaking circuit across like four countries, five countries last year. It was like 10 speeches. And it all kicked off with this like giant keynote presentation uh, in front of a couple of thousand or so, more than a thousand people. It was in Bangkok. And I remember being so scared because I worked for like a month with this thing together. It was a keynote about fear. And here I am like, super like terrified about doing a keynote speech about fear. But it was beautiful because I, I, I still know I'm not naturally gifted at public speaking, but I am again, naturally gifted to like find the opportunity, but also know what I have to do. And so I knew I wanted to walk on that stage confidently, but I didn't feel confident. So I knew I, I put in, I thought about it. And I'm like, how can I, how can I have this end result? And it's so funny. And I love telling a story because I think anybody who's not good at something can easily be very good at it if you just try. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to walk on that stage with confidence before I started this crazy speaking circuit. I knew the material. I knew the stories. And I knew I was probably going to be fine five minutes in, but it was a 15-minute presentation. I wanted to rock it. And so what I did is I, I knew the, the maid would come in at exactly 10 a.m. So I'd start my presentation at 959 <laughs> in the hotel room. And so she would walk in as I was presenting. And I wanted that to happen because I knew I'd get kind of like a little bit self-conscious and embarrassed and it'd be kind of awkward. So I continued to, and I'd be like, no, come in. And so she awkwardly like vacuumed and did the bed as I was giving the talk. And so that kind of dismantled a little bit of the nerves. And then I was like, okay, no, listen, I need to go to the hotel lobby and present to the lobby. 
And so I, that evening I went there, put my laptop on a, on a table, like in the lobby. It was a big lobby. Lots of people were going in and out. And so I just stood up and I gave the presentation facing the lobby, but people are, you know, checking in, checking out, waiting for taxis. And it was, it was embarrassing. But again, like, I'm not going to see these people again. They don't know who I am. And for me, it was getting those nerves out. And then the night before the presentation, they were setting up the stage. And so I go to the, it was like 11 PM. They're still setting up. I'm like, I'd like to try my presentation tonight. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like we're kind of like last minute here. And uh, we don't know if there's any time to present. I'm like, don't worry, I'll wait. So I sat there for like 30 minutes, just staring at everybody as they were like diddling with lights. And they're like, you know, you can jump on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes you like. So I gave the presentation on the stage to the people setting up sound and speakers and then I went to bed, woke up the next morning and just felt I rocked it. I walked on with confidence because I knew that I had to do these sort of things. And so anybody else w- would think that, okay, look, he's a natural at it. Look how, look, look how well he did. He didn't, he didn't skip a beat, but they don't see what happens behind the scenes. But for me, that, that was what it was. And so every time, every time I do that, I think I shave these nerves off. Um, but I think more people have to understand that there's more to fighting your fears than just standing up and doing it and not being afraid. Because in my life, I will probably never be fearless when it comes to public speaking. I'm not always fearless when it comes to like bungee jumping and getting leech therapy and all this. Like I'm still scared to do this stuff. I just don't listen to the advice because that's all it's trying to do. It's trying to warn me about dangers and things uh, when I know I'm here for more than that. And I know that just like advice from a friend or a family member who's trying to tell you to stay home instead of going to solo travel. It's, it's, it's okay to listen to advice, but I rarely take advice. And I rarely take advice from my fears either. I, I think that's a good one. If you don't mind just having a little riff on that. So I know everybody at home, they experience it at some point, especially for our generation. They, everyone wants to go travel. Everyone wants to get out there, experience the world. And I feel as if I know it's definitely relevant for myself. I know it's relevant for Johnny and I know many other friends and and family members and cousins have experienced it as well. But what do you say to that, you know, younger version of Mike who thought maybe I shouldn't travel or maybe I should just stick to the nine to five grind? What do you say to that guy to make sure that you definitely get out there, experience the world? Or what do you say to your parents that are maybe saying, get back to life? make a career for yourself. This travel isn't real. Yeah. The barrier is definitely there, especially if you come from a small town. Um, like I think all of us did here It's like, because everyone around you isn't doing that. So you have people who are found a job that's okay. They found a girlfriend or a husband that's okay. You know, they, they have an okay life and they're happy. Yeah, they're happy, happy. Right. But I don't want to be happy. I want to be fucking happy. You know, I, I, every, we all deserve way, way more than that. And those people who are, again, in our hometowns who are like, they're, they're fucking happy, right? Like some people can, can find everything perfectly and they can be happy. I used to judge people who didn't want to travel because I was like, how can you not want to go see the world? Like, how, how do you really know? But who am I to judge? Like some people can just, that, that's all they need. But for some of us, we need more than that. But the problem with the people who need more than that is that we don't have any examples. So we're not surrounded by other people who are out traveling the world, learning to skydive and scuba dive and, and you know, solo backpacking in, in Thailand. They're not there because they're out solo backpacking in Thailand and learning to skydive, right? They're not just chilling, you know, at Starbucks and in your hometown. 
so therefore the advice you hear is not from the people who are actually doing it. It's from the people who aren't. And so you're taking advice from people who've never done something, which makes no sense, but we still listen to it. Our, our minds are modern, but programmed. There's still that rudimentary programming. And we don't like to be singled out. We don't like to be, you know, exiled from the tribe. And so we always kind of want to do things that help us fit in a little bit. Because if we are exiled, I, back in the day, you'd die. You know what I mean? You needed to live and, and all help each other to survive. And so there's this natural need to feel like we're included. And so when you have all these little voices whispering, are you sure? Didn't you hear about that, that woman who was beheaded, you know, four years ago? And you're like, oh my God. And, and we, we listen to that and we heed the warnings. But the thing is the second, and this is the story over and over again, I've heard it a thousand times from people who finally did make the, the leap and did go solo travel. They're like, it's amazing. They, they couldn't imagine that they've waited so long because you meet other people who are actually doing the same thing. And then you actually feel like you fit in. You get to share stories. You get to stay up in 3 a.m. drinking some like bootleg moonshine on the end of a dock in some beautiful place. And you're better friends with people you met previous night than someone you knew since you were five, you know, just because you, you get life now and you're on the same frequency. And you have one of those experiences and you're hooked forever. And then you realize why you ever really worried about it. But it's always breaking out of, out of the pack and taking off. And there's this, the idea of, like, first of all, you're, you're leaving how other people think, but you're also leaving them physically. And you're getting on a plane to a place where you don't know the language, you don't know the food, you don't really know what you're doing. And that's all really, really scary, especially when if you're you know, living in the modern life, like we talked about earlier, everything's pretty comfortable. Like you don't find yourself in a situation where you're like, I don't know what's going on right now. You know, you, you know what's going on most of the time, but very often when you travel and you start to crave it, you love being in situations where you're like, I don't even know what's going on right now. I don't know what this food is in front of me. I've got diarrhea. I, my Airbnb is somewhere that way. My phone's dead. And then for me, at least you fall in love with that because you know, that makes you bulletproof and flexible. And those are all life skills that I think contribute to happiness. And and overall success is being able to adapt, make things work, and not stress. Man, stress is deadly. And um, we get too comfortable living in these little perfectly shaped boxes we've built. And uh, travel breaks all that up. Or a pandemic breaks all that up, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Mike, I, I love the framing of uh, fear as advice. You know, because like advice, you can always just say like, ah, no, nah, not that one. No, I don't want to do that. Like, nah, you know, you don't know. You don't know what this, what's going to happen right here. Like, I, I understand your perspective, but. Because a, a lot of people can't really conceptualize what it actually is, myself included. Like, you know, I can definitely get fearful of, you know, when I'm pushing the envelope on an adventure or doing something unknown. Like even watching the, the leeches video and hearing about like the, you know, doing the honey and all that stuff. Like if I'm going to take something or do something to myself, uh, like before I'm definitely like, uh, okay, yeah. But really seeing like, you know, this is my body telling me like, I don't think you should do this. But if you know it's going to be okay, you can always just push that aside. But one thing, on that note as well is with what you're doing now, this career, I've watched it, you know, over, over the past seven or eight years where you've, you know, grown to 350,000 subs on, on YouTube. Like there's, there's a, a very large audience watching, you know, essentially everything you do. How did that start? Like how, you know, it, it, it looks like from the outside in, it looks like something that, you know, this guy's always been a YouTuber. He's always been a content. Yeah. 113 on IG as well. Yeah. Yeah. 113,000. Like th those are, those are huge numbers. That's a huge audience that you're putting yourself in front of every single day. So, you know, what was it like? Um, and actually I think I even remember maybe when you had like 450 followers on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so 
so how did you get started with this all? Yeah. Well, I had said that I got roundhouse kicked a few times in life. Um, and the second time being with um, the toe infection, which was, again, a, a blessing or a curse, depending how you want, want to see it. But for me, it was a blessing because it got me doing something different. Made uh, my first video for this, this travel competition. And didn't win that one, but got like top 25 out of like several thousand people. And again, a guy who's, who, who was like horrible at it. But I, we watched enough television and movies to know what looks good. And so I did it until it looked good. Uh, persistence was what I had. And that made me realize like, okay, maybe there's, there's something there. But I was still definitely, I was still recording alone in my room, right? So there's no one watching. But then I decided to, like, what if I entered all of these competitions? And about, uh, this is like maybe 10 years ago now. Around that time, there was a lot of them. There's, there's very few now, but there was a lot of tra these travel competitions. Make a video, we'll send you someplace. And so I en ended up entering all of them. So I had a lot. And because I kind of became a bit, let's say, I call a specialist entering these things, I won a few. And the most prominent one was an international competition put on by Cathay Pacific Airways, which is based out of Hong Kong, like a, a good airway. And I won that one and I was able to have unlimited economy flights for three months, which was amazing. And they didn't particularly care what I filmed. They recovered pretty much all the expenses. And they're like, yeah, you know, make some content, let us share the content, but uh, go nuts. And so I was like, uh, okay. So I went to go sleep on the Great Wall of China, go scuba dive with sharks, get like Thai snake venom monk tattoos tapped into my skin, <laughs> like all these just really weird things and uh, was able to post those on my YouTube channel. And also they posted them uh, as well. And that's how it got kicked off. So I think you caught me right around that time mm -hmm. because then what happened is I started doing travel filmmaking. So there was more, it's hard to make money in the beginning, but I was being offered uh, gigs like professional filmmaking gigs that paid well. And I think it was a pretty good deal for the clients because a tourism board or a brand could pay like nothing um, to hire someone like me and I would still get paid really well because they're comparing the prices against like a, a production studio, which is like so much more expensive. So an independent filmmaker can get paid well, a brand can get a good deal. And yeah, and so I, I did that for like three or four years after that. But I didn't feel fulfilled. The money was getting better and better, but I, you can only film so many cathedrals, man. <laughs> before you uh, start to think like, yeah, this, I need more. And especially since I had that journey that we spoke about already in the podcast, I wanted to help people with fear. I felt like I knew something that I could, that I had, I had seen both sides and I was able to take this thing that was again, a phobia of mine and pursue it into a full-time career. And so I pivoted from travel filmmaking into back into my YouTube channel changed the name from, from, it was kick the grind at the time. And I wasn't taking it very seriously, pivoted into fearless and far and focused on a lot of these strange adventures that challenged myself because I knew from travel, especially I was able to grow into the person I wanted to be primarily by challenging myself. And so the whole travel style I developed was like eating the crazy things or doing the crazy adventures, not because I wanted to be like, jackass and be like, yo, bro, let's go get messed up. You know, it was more like, I'm actually scared of this. And I know, I know it's fine. Or I'm going to go with a professional who can take care of me or whatever it be and go and jump into it. Man, a little nod for you. I, I'm going to say you're, you're just built different. Like, I'm not going to lie. If, if I had unlimited flights, uh, I'm not going to get a uh, tie venom in me. I'm maybe going to Tomorrowland or, or checking out something <laughs> or like exit festival, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I couldn't party too much because I had to. Uh, I had this little brand watching me the entire time. 
but there was there was definitely some partying behind the scenes uh 100%. <laughs> fair. Fair. We'll leave that one for off the record. I was like mid-20s. And so, you know, there's, there's also other priorities besides uh, work at that age, right? Anyway, but yeah, so that that's how it, it started. And then eventually, I, as I got more into the Fearless and Far message, I started to find more of these strange things. And then I made a video about a, a baby jumping festival in Spain, where it's this pagan, Christian, Catholic kind of fusion where for baptism, instead of using the holy water newborns are put on the street and this devil jumps over the newborns on the street and it's this like little tiny town in spain so i made a video about that and the bbc found that they were looking for a, a tv presenter a tv host for one of their programs we did a skype call and we've been working together for like uh, about two and a half years now or so so nice. um and that started the tv career and there's been a couple other shows as well that i've, I've been on yeah, so it's kind of solidifying me speaking for a living, which is the absolute last thing I ever would think I would do if you talked to me 20 years ago. Mike, so I have to ask you, I, I've, all the places you've been, and this is a very common question that we're, we're getting into on the show. Some of our episodes are strictly around this as well. If you had to, and I know it's probably a bit of a loaded one, if you had to pick one of your favorite travel stories, if there was one, do you have one? Your most epic adventure rip whatever it may be party experience what what's the one travel story that when you dig into the vault you say that that was the one well uh there's a lot um we can talk about we can talk about doing um frog venom uh, medicine in, in amazon <laughs> we can we can talk about sleeping alone on the great wall of china we can talk about uh roasting marshmallows over the door to hell in Turkmenistan. We can talk about, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, give me a category. I think, I think the roasting the marshmallows over in Turkmenistan, I've, I did a little bit of research on that. I saw that's one of the most underrated places to go in the world and, and, and see that. Isn't it just like this methane that's coming out of a hole and, and it's someone lit it on fire years ago and it's continued to burn. Is that accurate? No one really knows what happened, but basically Turkmenistan is this, uh, it's run by a dictator, basically. And it's one of the most, it's, it's like, it's like North Korea, basically. It's, it's very, very similar. It's, it's so highly controlled and censored by, by the state. Uh, everyone there lives in fear of being listened to the currency, depending on where you get it. So if you go to a, like a machine, you, you get four times less the value opposed if you go like to the black market, which is like anybody on the street. And so, but when you do that, you can't talk about it because everyone's afraid that those people are going to be listening. There's listening devices everywhere. There's hidden cameras everywhere. And if you mess up, you get thrown in jail or, or disappear. So you, you live in, in constant fear. I had seen this, again, this big burning hole in the middle of a desert years ago called the door to hell. And I was so fascinated. So basically, uh, Turkmenistan is a weird country because it's in the middle of, of Asia, all like dry, dry desert. But there's this like Futurama, like Tokyo-esque town that's completely empty. You go there and there's nobody around. It's, it, it's unbelievable how beautiful and pristine. It's all white and gold and just beautiful, but there's absolutely nobody. And so the country has the second largest deposits of natural gas in the world. And the president has this obsession with Guinness World Records. And so he wanted to have the Guinness World Record for most marble clad buildings in the world in the city Ashgabat. 
So all of the buildings are like white marble with gold trim. He wanted to have the world's biggest indoor Ferris wheel. So he built this like giant, it looks like a space compass building with a, like, in gold and marble that houses this, it looks like a giant, like a giant compass almost. This weird circle building that's flat with like gold and, and there's a Ferris wheel inside of it. And again, we went there completely empty. <laughs> no, one, no, no one's there. Yeah, but he's got the record. So, you know, it- that, that's exactly it, right? And so also um, there's a, a statue of him like ride like a golden statue of him riding like a gold horse chariot that spins so it always faces the sun. <laughs> That's what Johnny wants next as soon as he <laughs> yeah, really takes Yeah, off. exactly. And so I think I'm gonna get one get one in the backyard here. Yeah, yeah. And so to get into the country, I, I had to uh, you have to get a visa. And the visa is notoriously hard to get, especially if they see you like your press. Like I mean, YouTuber right, is kind of like press. And you can't just go. You have to find a local company to apply for you and invite you. And then everything has to be paid for and all this kind of stuff. And so, but I mean, local tour companies can do that. But I, he's like, do you have a visa photo? So I sent him a photo for the visa. And he goes, oh, no, this is not going to work because you have a beard. Like, like a beard like this. Like not really, like stubble, right? And he's like, if they see you with a passport photo with uh, stubble, they're, they're not going to let you in. You have to be completely clean shaven. So I had to cl- shave my face for the first time since I was like, I don't know, man, 15 or something. Jesus, I've always had this double. So I had to shave my face to get in and ended up actually getting in. And I always had this dream of like potentially roasting marshmallows over this giant pit of fire. And I said, the story is not really known because while they know there's lots of these, these pits full of gas, I think all the evidence ended up being burnt. So what they think happened is there was some kind of like USSR Soviet drilling machine that thought there was a gas deposit, drill the hole and then fell in and then disappeared. And then they're not sure if that lit the thing on fire or someone came by later and threw a match, but now uh, it burns and they keep it burning because I don't think they can extinguish it. But also if it's left unburning, it's just going to contaminate the, the world with, with more methane, right? So anyway, it's this, it's this attraction in the middle of the desert and the, the president hates it. He can't believe people travel there exclusively to see it because they've got all these like cool ancient ruins, but man, everywhere has cool ancient ruins, right? So but that's the only country with a burning hole called the, the, the pit of fire or the door to hell. So we showed up, we had drove in the middle of nowhere to get to the spot. I brought like marshmallows and a stick, but how do you get a stick big enough to hold over the edge? And that made a whole YouTube video about it. But the coolest thing is like, we're there and like these places, whether it be landscapes or the, the door to hell are always really cool. But the, the best thing is, is like the people. I always look back at my best travel m- memories and they're always with some strange local or some strange situation where someone has some unexpected hospitality. So we get there, we're setting up our marshmallows and there's this family of uh, Turkmenistan people that invite us over. They've got a big, big, big blanket and they and like making us eat all their like barbecue food and feeding us all these different things we never had before. And their English was kind of bad, but it doesn't really matter. Right. And then it may, like things like that make me realize that a lot of these countries I've been to that are like tourist unfriendly. Everyone thinks Turkmenistan's dangerous. Don't go. Same like with Mauritania, Bangladesh, Venezuela, Pakistan, all these countries I've been to in the past 12 to 18 months have all been the absolute best travel experiences because people just appreciate you're there. They just, they're fascinated. They go out of their way to make sure you're safe. Like people are always afraid that 
you go to these countries and some terrorist is going to kidnap you, man. But like you have the population of that country being your bodyguard. Like no one's going to try anything because everyone's like, oh, you know, they, they want you to have a good time and they'll go out of their way to invite you for tea or give you their food or every single time in, in all these countries. Like I've been doing this full time, man, for 10 years now. And I, the, my worst travel experiences have been in like Paris and uh, Netherlands and the UK, like all of these strange countries I've been to, and I've been to a lot. I've never had a bad ex- travel experience in any of them. I think I think we really underestimate people's hospitality, don't we? Like, like uh, cause I share that same sentiment. And I think that if you pay attention to narratives in the media and you know, online or you get sort of indoctrinated in these worldviews, it shuts you off to considering the possibility that these people are, are incredibly generous you know, or just people in general are incredibly generous. And I think that's, that's an amazing thing to discover while you're traveling is that people are a lot of people. There's a lot of good people in the world. And I, and I think that in, in this modern world, I'm not sure that that's a narrative that gets spoken that much. No, you only, you only have the, the bad data points, man. And going back to this whole, like how our brain works thing, I'm pretty sure like the, the default wiring of our brain is to think about like our, our human tribal size. So let's say you go back several thousand years and we're, we're living like a 10,000 years or something. And we're living in like these small groups again. And that small groups, like maybe hundred, 500, I don't exactly know, but now we, and we, you'd have certain data points. All right. So George's wife got bitten by a snake. All right. So we know our odds because our odds are the size of this group that we normally live in. But now like we get every negative data point from 8 billion people. And that I think we take those data points and register them on the same risk level based on this, this primal wiring we have. And so everything we think, if we hear two data points of like people getting hurt in the Philippines, we don't go to the Philippines. We hate, we, Philippines is dangerous, right? Because out of there's like 200 million people there or something, a couple of data points, but we can't accurately interpret risk very well. We're not, we can't think so big like that. And so we take these these only negative, by the way, because they always get great coverage on the news. We take those, we register them, and then we make these sweeping assumptions about the risk level of, of things that are completely unfounded because I'm sure they exist and happen, but they're not logical and they're, they're, not, uh, they're not correct. And especially for a lot of these countries that are a bit off the radar. Like, for example, I went to Mauritania earlier this year. We uh, train hop this iron ore train that goes 18 hours across the Sahara. <laughs> and everyone said Mauritania was dangerous. And yes, like five years ago, there was a few tourists who were like hurt by some rebel group. But again, like that was five years ago. And I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of people had, had gone since then. But like, it's not like the odds are still very low. But again, how often do you hear about some of these more remote countries? You don't. So you only hear one thing that sticks and good news isn't news. And so we make all of our assumptions off, off that one piece of news, right? And so that's the story. Like I said, all of my bad travel experiences where I've been scammed or felt in danger have always been in these like on the tourist trail countries where there are scams and there are people there who are preying on you. But very, very rarely, at least, and never in my experience, have I ever been preyed upon uh, in any of these countries that you think might be off the tourist path? 
So Mike, you're out tackling the world right now. You seem to not have really missed a beat, which is amazing. And I think there's a lot of people that are, are looking at what you're doing and, and wanting to sort of be in those shoes, being able to get on a plane, go around to different countries. Do you have any form of advice or feedback for the people that are sitting at home right now that do want to get out and experience the world during you know what, what is right now a pandemic? Yeah. Well, as of July 2nd, as when I packed up my bags from Canada, because the EU was letting in tourists, well, letting in non-essential travel, which is essentially tourism. Were you, were you the first one back, Mike? Were you like the first Canadian back in, in Europe, you know, to make that, that jump across bond again? Uh, at least the first one to post about it. Yeah. Because I left right away. And right. I, most other travel and well, all other travel influencers, as far as I saw, didn't know what to do. But for me, like, as you can tell, I, I don't mind stirring up controversy sometimes because I do really like to think about my actions and the implications of those actions. And also, I had a good four months stuck in Canada where I had lots of time to think about what I wanted to do and, and also accurately assess the risk. In the beginning, early March, no one really knew what was going on. And so it was really hard to accurately assess the risk. I'm used to a just a baseline of instability in my life. Um, and I think that's what the pandemic ended up doing to everybody is destabilizing their lives. I'm used to that. I'm used to not really knowing what's going on half the time. Uh, I try my best to keep my hands on the reins, but sometimes it's not. And for most people, I think they were quite comfortable with their own little boxes until a pandemic hit and then their very life changed. Uh, but I'm used to, my life changes every, every day, man. <laughs> like I, I sleep in a new bed, like every three days, uh, so I'm, I'm used to everything changing. I'm used to like not knowing where I am. I'm used to getting sick. I'm used to all these things. So once, once I realized this isn't like the Spanish flu that happened in the early 1900s, which was super scary, not saying this isn't scary, but at least very different for myself, this was well within my risk tolerance to head over and get that freshness. Because for me, like this is essential to my life, man. When I was living back home, I had a hard time feeling like I was being my best self. Uh, this is like 10 years ago, uh, before I started traveling. Traveling is what makes me happy. And then there was a really big debate about like essential and non-essential. What is essential? What's non-essential? Is coffee essential in the morning? No. You know, is, uh, is watching TV essential? No. But these things are like essential. You know, there's, there's, what is essential exactly? Everybody has different things that are essential. And is happiness essential? I mean, if you're just trying to survive, uh, no, but yeah, of course it is. And so for me, travel was, I mean, first of all, travel essential to my happiness, travel's essential to my career. I also had a, a girlfriend that lives in Poland, love and relationships, keeping that relationship going was pretty, pretty essential to my life as well. Yeah, it was more to it than me. That being said, so I did, I did choose uh, to be one of the very first over there, at least one, like the first maybe in my industry. I, I knew there was two ways to approach it. I knew there was just to like sneak over there, not tell anybody or like make, make a, a statement and say, this is what I'm doing and why. And I chose the second version to make several videos showing like what it's like, explaining why my choices are the way they are, making some tutorial videos if anybody did choose to do the same themselves. But the main thing is like, no one cares. Well, I don't want to put my life in danger, but at least that's my responsibility. You know, I can, I can judge the risk for myself. The last thing I wanted to do and the last thing anybody should do is track their dirty feet to places where they could seriously affect someone or someone's life or someone's family. And so as a traveler, there's a couple of different levels here. Number one, um, the most basic thing I explain is like, if a country opens 
to non-essential travel, which is tourism, it's not really unethical to go because the government just said, come on, guys, let's go. And so, okay, I can still choose to go. But there's still things to keep in mind. So I did get tested when I arrived there, and I did make sure not to go to small, sensitive communities. And I didn't have to quarantine, but I still did anyway when I arrived in, uh, in Poland for two weeks. So I went above and beyond to do these extra things just to make sure I'm not messing up anybody's life. If I want to mess up my life, I can do that. No one cares, right? But I don't want to, to do that with other people. Again, I, I, I wasn't too concerned about my health. God forbid anything happens, but like I, I felt I could handle it. Um, I, I, I can make smart decisions. If I do get sick, I'll get sick. But I, I, I thought I was being pretty smart, at least with my own health. But I didn't want to spread to anybody else. So I wanted to explain that. I wanted to instruct that as well. And then after that, I did continue to travel to a few different countries. I've been to six countries since July. And I've been very vocal about it. And so traveling in this world is something that you can still do. And I don't think you should listen to much criticism about it. Because again, people are projecting their fears and insecurities on you. But the one thing you do need to do if you are going to travel during the pandemic is make sure you're not affecting other people. And make sure you're following local regulations. You're not going off to places that potentially you, you could infect people who haven't received it yet. But also they get tested, even if it's not required to get tested go pay for a, um, a PCR test or something just to make sure you're good because that's the main problem. Like you're traveling for fun or for like, happiness like me, but at the same time, you should be a bit responsible. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of traveling during the pandemic, but also a big proponent of doing it right and doing it ethically and, and, and not just recklessly running around with like, you know, coughing and sneezing on people here. Yeah, no, Mike, uh, yeah, I watched that video when you when you put it out, and it was it's a very eloquent message. And um, I, you know, I, I agree with the sentiment a hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you want to respect people's health and their and their wellness. And and of course, with with this you know very bizarre pandemic going on, uh, there, there's all kinds of things to consider. But you're right. If if you do cover your bases and you know are respectful, keep your distance, and and uh, you know just just follow the the local guidelines you know you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in a lot better position and and you're also gonna you're gonna shield yourself from criticism like you said at the end of the day so one uh last thing just to bring this around the the bend mike one of the things uh, i i really want to know is 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 where can we find you what uh where are you available what products do you have out there courses that that we can access that that you mentioned where where does all this live yeah, man. Well, thanks for asking. So uh, I have uh, the YouTube channel still like the, one of the main places to go. So it's just fearless and far. And there I really try hard to find the the unexpected adventures and adventures that challenge me and also surprise people and also maybe encourage people to find their own challenges in life. So some things I've done this year, again, ride that iron ore train in the middle of the Sahara Desert and Mauritania, a place where people don't go, on top of like the pile of iron ore, which is crazy. Also bare myself in sand up to my neck for 24 hours earlier this year to see if I could do it. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it was, wasn't, wasn't easy. No kidding. <laughs> to be in sand. Yeah, so fun things like that. In Romania, like we, we, I was able to sleep in that abandoned castle, which again was super freaky, being in that place all by yourself all night. But yeah, a lot of fun. So that's all Fearless and Far. The same thing happens on my Instagram, which is Fearless and Far too. I post stories all the time and photos there. And I just released a course called The War on Fear, which was taking all of these lessons and techniques I've learned and developed in my life and then instructing those for anybody who does want to be more comfortable with, with fear. And I, it's called War on Fear because I think it really has to be a war. 
And this feeling of fear is very much an opponent that's going to appear many times in your life. And you have to decide whether to back away or to fight it. It's going to be a bully. And this, this course helps you arm yourself to be able to, to fight back because it's, it's not going to feel good. But if you feel like you have a higher purpose, fear is something that you will constantly will be blocking the way, will be the gatekeeper. Everything great in life, fear will be the gatekeeper preventing you from getting there. And you have to decide whether you turn around or press forward. And this course helps you press forward. And so if you go to War on Fear Bootcamp, uh, maybe you can throw it in the show notes as well or something. You got it. And, uh, and yeah, if you want to check it out, I made it to help everybody who feels stuck. And I really feel it does that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mike, Corey, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you after uh, these years have passed. And it's been really fun watching your journey and seeing what you've been up to, which is indeed all kinds of, of crazy things. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Check them out on YouTube, Instagram, and pick up that course to overcome your fears. I know I will certainly be checking out on that very soon. I'm excited to get back on the road. Mike Corey is fearless and far, and indeed, he is overcoming those fears every day, and he is always very far away, it seems. So it's been good to catch up with you here, Mike. I was going to go with, with scared and close, but I, I went with... Uh... <laughs> That's right. Let's, uh, let's stay fearless and far and have some fun out there and do it uh, in a way that lets us uh, feel connected to life again. So I, I appreciate the message very much and, and your time. Mike, thanks for joining us on Live Twice. Yeah, it was a blast, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Live Twice podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow us on TikTok at EthoVentures or for daily podcast clips at Live Twice Pod. Don't miss out on your EthoVenture. Book today at EthoVentures.com. This podcast was edited and mixed by Earworm Radio. If you're looking to ship episodes quickly and without the hassle of editing, you need Jeff and the team at Earworm to help you fall in love with podcasting all over again. Live Twice wouldn't be possible without the speed and efficiency of Earworm Radio. You can follow them on Instagram at EWRadio or visit EarwormRadio.com. The Live Twice podcast is a joint production from Ethoventures and Frontliners Media.